Heroes get remembered. Here's the windup. Legends never die. Fastball hits deep to right. This could be it. Way back there. Oh, Welcome to Hardball. Today, I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of the earth. Major League Baseball's history in first person. Conversations that span almost 20 years. It is 9.46 p.m. With the men who saw and made that history. Sandy into his windup. Here's the pitch. Many of whom are no longer with us. Swung out and missed a perfect game. Stories from the 1930s. To the 21st century. This is Hardball. Dad, you want to have a catch? Welcome into Hardball. My name is Chris Domino, and this is our continued trek through the world of baseball, one conversation at a time. If this is your first time in, thanks for finding us. And I hope you enjoyed today's episode enough to go back and listen to some of the others of the first 29 we've posted here at Hardball. If you're back for more, thank you as well. I appreciate you taking the time, and I hope that you might be able to spread the word both through social media, whatever that might be for you, and by hitting subscribe so you receive a notice when we post a new episode. And here's my other ask. Please rate. That's the star thing. And take a minute to write a review if you listen on Apple or iTunes, because as I have found out, that's the best way for what we are doing here to find a wider audience. Oh, and the good old-fashioned phone or text a friend to let them know we exist thing is still in play. Very quickly, the reason I'm doing this, in a world where you now have one million choices, not kidding, it really is one million podcast choices, for me, it's because history matters. First-hand accounts, games, players, wins, losses, teammates. I'm not here to convince you or anyone that baseball is this or that. I'm not making over-the-top statements about what the game is or isn't. We, me, you, our guests, are here to tell stories, recount and recall the moments in games and seasons that sometimes have added up to a Hall of Fame career. Today's guest, by the way, will have his day in the July sun in Cooperstown in the not-too-distant future and his baseball beginnings were as humble as you will hear. These conversations date back 20-plus years in some cases, and as the last 10 months have unfortunately shown, we are losing these men at an alarming rate, and with them goes an ability to ask one more question, have one more conversation, that possibly could have provided something not known or ever heard before. The ultimate goal here is to have you see, literally see what's being spoken of, put you for a few minutes in a ballpark or there with those who saw or experienced these stories firsthand. This episode will also begin a mini-series of catching up with World Series winning managers. So with all that in mind, it was the perfect time to dial up a man I've had the pleasure to call a baseball friend for a number of years. I have no problem saying that one of the greatest things about my day job, sports talk radio host in Atlanta, has been the ability to sit down and talk with people who run organizations, owners, GMs, and of course coaches and managers. Being around the ballpark for 27 years, I found that the time with managers in the world of baseball has always been some of the most interesting time I've spent with a microphone on, but more importantly, with it off. Establishing a relationship, being able to ask questions that lead to conversations about decision-making. Not the Bull Durham cliche stuff, the things that only get said in the corner of the dugout or even better in the visiting manager's office. Bruce Bochy became one of those guys for me. As a matter of fact, I have, and I will tell him again so here today, that I enjoyed him more than any other in that regard. Old school, not flowery, not a dance-around guy. 
a man who loves the game and his players even more than that. And they know it, not because he tells them every day or kisses their individual or collective asses. They know it because he does the work before he makes a decision and still has been able to see, really see and feel, the things that aren't going to come from numbers on a piece of paper. The man gave up his uniform number the year after he won his first World Series when the Giants acquired Carlos Beltran. That's who he is. It's a game played by humans, and quite honestly, some have forgotten that. Boach never did. Bruce sits right at the top of the hundreds of guys I've been in front of who have been in charge of a major league franchise on game day. Dusty Baker, Joe Madden, Don Mattingly, Davey Johnson, John Gibbons, Terry Collins. These are all guys I've really enjoyed. Guys who invite you into the office or stick around in the dugout after the other media folks say thank you and walk away. What kind of company is Bruce Bochy in? Well, only five men have more World Series titles than his three, and the group he sits with at three consists of Sparky, Tony La Russa, Miller Huggins, and John McGraw. 2,000-plus wins, and someday we'll have a statue in front of the ballpark in San Francisco. And, as you will remarkably hear in this conversation, he did something that no one else in the history of the West Coast version of the Giants had ever done, and that, of course, dates back to 1958. His career as a player, his time in San Diego as a manager, World Series losses as a player and a manager, and what pushed the Giants to multiple titles. I enjoyed this one very much. I hope you do as well. Bruce Bochy. Travis Ishikawa. Hits one into right. The Giants win the pennant. Trying to wrap up this World Series for the Giants. He's ready. He throws. Swing and a miss. And that's it. The Giants. For the first time in 52 years, the Giants are world champions as they come pouring out of the dugout. Cabrera takes strike three call. And the Giants have won the World Swing and a pop-up. Side the ball, down the line, and foul ground. He's got plenty of room, and he's got it! And the Giants have won! And you can't help but think that this group is celebrating for the Say Hey Kid, for Will the Thrill, celebrating for number 25, and celebrating for all you Giants fans, wherever you are, Giants fans, this party just getting started. Honor and a pleasure to catch up with this gentleman. I've said it before, Tony Gwynn, my favorite player, uh, non-Atlanta Brave driven in 27 years of doing this. Uh, Bruce Bochy, my favorite manager, who a limited amount of time getting to see him because of no spring training in Florida and, of course, not a lot of West Coast visits, but always appreciated the time he did give when he was in town. Bruce, uh, good morning. How are you? Chris, I'm doing well. I'm out here in San Diego uh, waiting on spring training. Not sure... You know, exactly when I'm going to head over. You know, there's a lot of restrictions. And uh, so uh, I'm just waiting to figure out exactly what day uh, I'll get over there. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing baseball here soon. Yeah, I think everybody is, and hopefully with fans in the stands as well. It is interesting. You do obviously have a tie to Tony Gwynn, and I do want to talk about him in a second uh, with you and certainly going through your career. I, we won't spend a ton of time on your playing career, but but it is sort of fascinating when you talk about catchers and how many of them become managers what point in your career did you think hmm i wonder if that might be something that i could do i wonder if somebody would be interesting interested in me doing it for them do you you kind of remember was there a line for you uh, about that thing in your head yeah i think it was my last year uh in 87 i was on the back end of a two-year contract and opening day uh 
I was uh, warming up uh, a pitcher named Ed Wojna who wanted a little work in the ninth inning. And uh, it was in San Francisco. It was cold. And uh, that ball went off the wall, hit my hand, broke it. But long story short, I was sitting on the DL. I mean, it took like seven weeks for this thing to come around. And, uh, and you know, and I was I was having aches and pains, you know, that a lot of players get uh, from the wear and tear. The shoulder was bothering me a little bit. And so – you know, I was thinking, you know, I, I, I'm I ready for the transition. Uh, um, I really felt that. And I didn't make up my mind, but that's when I started thinking about it. Then the following year, you know, I had some offers that come in spring training, tried to make the club. But uh, uh, Tom Romanesco, our farm director, he offered something uh, that would give me a taste of both. And that was uh, being a player coach in Las Vegas in 1988. And so, and Jack McKean had done that when he started. So, I said, well, that sounds like uh, it could be a fun summer, and I'll know for sure. And I, so I did it. So that's kind of where it started for me. The idea that that is so old school. The idea of playing manager. You're a little different, though. I think in some ways. I think we had this conversation one day. You really liked the minor leagues. Now, look, I know as a player, um, I got to get the hell out of here. I got to get the hell out of here. I think even guys who coach and manage, I got to get the hell out of here. You kind of really enjoyed that whole minor league thing, did you not? I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I said I, I could – well, you know, when I started managing minor leagues, uh, you know, I had managed in the major leagues on such a pedestal. I never saw myself being a major league manager. Now, I don't think I lacked confidence. I just didn't know if I'd ever get the opportunity. Uh, you know, you're looking at Bobby Cox and his great managers. You know, you don't put yourself, uh, you know, in their class. So, I said this is something I could do the rest of my life. There's not a lot of money in it, but uh, – uh, and there are a lot of guys who have done it. Uh, you know, we have a triple-A manager, Dave Brundage, who was with the Braves, you probably know. I do. Uh, he's he's still managing, and he loves it. <laughs> but it's, it's uh, you know, it's something I said I could even do after managing the major leagues. You know, if I wanted to, you know, do it on a, on a little uh, easier scale, uh, like rookie ball or something for two and a half months. But I, I'm not going to do that. i got grandkids now, and I'd rather – um, I have a, little, a bit more time right now. Uh, I'm not ruling out ever managing again, but getting back to your point, I loved it. Now, as a player, you're right. I mean, it, it's still fun, a lot of fun, but mm-hmm. when you get up to the upper levels, you're like, i got to get out of here. And I was one of those guys that had a tough time getting out of there. Uh, I think I was a 26th man for about four years in a row, and that's when they didn't have a 26th man roster. <laughs> so uh, that, that didn't work out too bad. Uh, too well, but I I would end up getting called up, so it's well worth it. Uh, how would you describe yourself as a player? And, and listen, you're you're as honest as it gets. Did did you get what you wanted out of it? Did you think maybe it could have been a little bit more, a little bit better? Yeah, we all look back probably and think, gosh, I, you know, I could have worked harder, uh, even gotten stronger. Uh, uh, you know, some of this information they have now, I I would have liked to, to have had as a player. Uh, um, uh, but you know what? I, I felt like I, you know, I, I did make a total commitment uh, trying to make it to the major leagues. Uh, I, I still remember uh, Bill Bird, my first manager. Uh, he had his, uh, his rookies uh, and guys in the minor leagues. We had to swing this lead pipe that was a little longer than a bat. 
200 times a day. And uh, I did it. I mean, I, in fact, I got married, uh, took it on a honeymoon, and so, you know, I was uh, relentless with it. But now, both shoulders I've had surgeries on, and my elbows are barking. I know it's from swinging that lead pipe for about four years. So, so I, you know, I. I even though I put in a lot of work, you know, you look back and say, well, I wish I'd have known this. And then, Chris, I, and I've said this to almost all the players uh, that I've managed that, you know, if they could not lose a year, you know, of, of playing time, but if somehow they could coach for a year or manage, then go back as a player, they would be that much better because they, they would see the other side. Yeah, I think it would open a lot of eyes up. So. Uh, but you know, we we all can say I, I wish I'd have done that, but really don't have any big regrets. And yeah, you know, I just said I, I probably would have worked even harder. You fit the bill of a good handful plus of guys who I've either looked up or talked actually with. You you did have one stolen base in your career. I'm assuming there's a story behind it. Yeah, man, I was. Glad to get that goose egg off my baseball <laughs> card. Yeah, you know, I got grandkids coming up now. And I didn't want them uh, getting on me because I never stole a base. I got a few in the minor leagues, and and one, back one year in winter ball, I stole twelve. You know, the, uh, and you know it's like uh, when Johnny Bench was still his bags. You know, they don't watch you. Mm-hmm. You get a, a early jump, but my stolen base was a missed sign. Dick Williams was the manager. Jerry Royster, uh, old brave, uh, he was hitting and. Uh, and um, a left-hander named uh, Zane Smith was on the mound, and and um, it was a three-two count. And Harry Dunlop was the third base coach, and, and Harry uh, gave me to go. Uh, and so I was kind of excited. Uh, it was one out, and uh, he threw an off-speed uh, pitch down the zone, and uh, and Jerry missed it, struck out. Ozzy Virgil Jr. was catching. Uh, and, uh, you know, throw was a little wide, you know, speed kills. I'm sure I rushed his throw when he saw me take off the way I run. And uh, anyway, I got a little standing ovation. That's about the only one I got as a player. And, uh, so it was, uh, it was a big moment for me. Uh, but we, we had a lot of fun with it. But real quick, I'll end this. But I got back to dugout. I'm putting on the gear, and Dick Williams starts yelling. You know, don't you know the signs? He had given a don't-go sign. But Harry Dunlop was behind him as I was looking at Dick, and Harry's waving his arms going, don't tell him, don't tell him, you know, kind of uh, mouthing it. and Because uh, uh, Dick would have aired out Harry, oh, yeah. too. So so I get my only base, and I get yelled at for it. Well, and, and and like you said, though, you did, everybody in the dugout, the, the little standing ovation and maybe even a couple of people in the crowd was well worth the moment of a little bit of an ass chewing from one Dick Williams. You also have a distinction, do you not? Now, tell me if I'm right or wrong. Is this fact or fiction? You had one walk-off home run in your career, and who you hit it off, future Hall of Famer, had only given up one walk-off home run as well? Yeah, you know what? I think I had... Um, uh... A couple, uh, but you know what? I, uh, home runs, and uh, it was it was probably eighty five, eighty six. But the one you're talking about, uh, uh, yeah, it was off uh, Nolan Ryan, and um, that was. And we were teammates in Houston, but uh, we're playing them, and uh, I got him in the ninth inning. Chris, he had, his velocity had gone down about ninety six, and uh, and he threw a piece of cheese on the inner half, and. And, uh, you know, I got it down the left field foul line, uh, line just there. And, and uh, it was uh, it's, it's quite a moment for me. And, 
I got uh, get to the clubhouse and uh, Greg Nettles and uh, Tim Flannery had put a red carpet out and they had my helmet there. And I'm known for having an extra uh, large head and uh, they had uh, some ice and a six uh, pack of beer in there. And uh, so it was, it was a lot of fun, but uh, there's a little story behind this. And I guess it's okay to tell you this, but my dad was in Las Vegas and he's little parlays, you know, he didn't play much, but that was the last game he had taken us in a game. And, uh, and they came up on the board, and everybody was mad because they had bet on Nolan Ryan except for him. So he was all ecstatic, and uh, so he, he was excited that uh, I had won a, a nice little parlay for him. That's funny, and and I think it truly is. It might be the only walk-off that Nolan Ryan ever gave up. I, if, if it's not true, who gives a damn? That's a hell of a that, – yeah, No, it, it was. It was I because I, I was asked this. I didn't realize that either. Because, you know, he pitched, I mean, all the complete games. You figure, gosh, he had to give up a few. Right. But, uh, yeah, but, uh, no, that, that was his only one. So, uh, yeah, and the, two days later when he was taking his bullpen in, uh, in San Diego here at the Murph, it was the Murph then, uh, he said, all right, and I was shagging balls in right field. He said, Boach, I got something for you the next time I face you. And he dropped down sidearm and threw it about 100 miles an hour where my head was. And they hit the wall and went, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. But uh, he, yeah, we were having fun with it. I don't want to miss the headline. Let's go back to the helmet. The idea that you actually wore a helmet that could fit a six-pack of beer, please let it be known that that is as funny as it gets when it comes to clubhouse celebrations. Yeah, yeah that, that helmet went everywhere with me, you know, being a journeyman player and the teams I went to. And I played five years in winter ball, three in Venezuela and one in uh, Puerto Rico, one in the Dominican. But that helmet went with me. So, oh, I don't know. I, probably, I still have it. It's uh, got about probably 15 coats of paint on it. Uh, it's, it's You can see where it's been glued together where I snapped one time and threw it down and I mean, I, I wanted to cry because it wasn't like I could just go get another helmet. They had a special order it. But, uh, yeah, that that uh, helmet's still with me. So is this true? When you went to the Mets, could they not find a helmet and literally just they painted your old one? Is that true? Right, right. Yeah, no, they couldn't. That's exactly uh, uh, what happened there. And, it, I mean, nowadays, you know, it's a little different. But, uh um, I don't know. Heads are getting bigger there. Feet are getting bigger. I remember when we were young, if you had a size 12, that was considered a big foot. Yeah. Now they're getting guys, that, you know, and I wear 14 to 15, and uh, I haven't had trouble with shoes back then. So, uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's a little easier getting the hats now. And, and what's nice for me, being around for a while, I go in spring training, I get a dozen hats that are my size. There you go. And you know what, Chris? I get more letters from parents with kids with, you know, big heads asking, uh, you know, how they can get a hat or a helmet that would fit them. So I've, I've, I've given away quite a few hats. You know what happens? The respect that comes when you win a World Series, it's like, it's like good wood on a bat. When you do something, you get better wood. Uh, let me, let me, it's, it's funny. Let me ask you that. When you are a backup guy, when you are a guy who is going to be in the minor leagues and you're going to get your time in the major leagues, but you're going to do a little split, the reality of watching really good players, the the wood, I mean, did you ever pick up other guys' bats or did you even just say, I got to use that because it's better than anything they're going to send me? Is that a reality? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was a K-55 guy. and uh, You know, back then, a lot of guys had, had them, but Enos Cabell, 
I, I remember he used to get a lot better wood than uh, I would get. So mm-hmm. I would uh, steal a couple of his bats because, uh, but he used a really big bat, and he and Bob Watson both they use these thirty six, thirty sixes, and uh, uh, you know now it's a lot different. But uh, oh yeah, the grain in the wood. But uh, you know I, I got to know the people pretty good uh, at Louisville, and uh, they. They would take care of me. But if I ordered a dozen bats, there would probably be three in there that I thought, wow, i got to really take care of these. Yeah. And, uh, and and you could tell the difference. You really could. Uh, but uh, you're right. I mean, Tony Gwynn, I mean, when he got his bats, they were pearls. And, uh, but, you know, I could have never used his, his bats for like 29, 30 ounces. Toothpicks. So I do want to ask about 84, 84 before we get to the managing part. You mentioned Nettles. We just both mentioned Gwynn. Garvey, Gossage. Tell me about 1984 in San Diego. Well, I mean, that was, I mean, such a special uh, year. It started out really rough for me. Out of spring training, you know, I thought I made the club. We go to San Diego and get all my stuff in my locker. We're about five hours before the game. And uh, and they called me in. Dick Williams calls me into his office. And uh, he says, I'm sorry, I got bad news. You know, you're going to go down to Las Vegas, our AAA affiliate. And uh, I was crushed, you know, and and, um, and they were keeping another catcher who were, you know, we were friends, Doug Goose, but I was, you know, really bothered by it. But the reason I was sent out was because they just trading got Greg Nettles. So they had to have a spot on the roster. So we went from three catchers to two. So I was down for about a month. But, uh, you know, we just had a, the, the one-two tandem of Alan Wiggins and uh, Tony Gwynn and uh, – to watch those two wreak havoc every day, you know. I mean, they're they're the ones that made us go. And uh, you know, Garvey, he gave us you know some presents. And uh, you know, T.K. Kennedy, uh, Nettles. Uh, but you know, get we got Goose the year before. I mean, we uh, we were primed to have a good year. Templeton. I mean, we we had the veterans. We we had the uh, young guys like McReynolds, and uh, and had a decent pitching staff. You know, our ace was. Uh, at that time, I think uh, Eric Schau. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we had you know, some guys that had decent years there. And then we I lost two games to the Cubs, you know. Back then, it was the best out of three um, playoff against uh, um, you know, the other teams. And uh, uh, you went to the World Series. And uh, we lost the first two in Chicago. And they came to San Diego, and we had to win three straight. And uh, and the people just went nuts in their ballpark uh, uh, when we got back. And uh, they had a lot to do with this uh, mountain that comeback and swept the Cubs and uh, went on to play Detroit. And that's, of course, that's the year that uh, Detroit, uh, I mean, they were a juggernaut. They were wired to wire. Um, they were wired oh, to wire. They, they were unbelievable. And uh, we ended up losing. But, you know, that was my first uh, experience in World Series. And, I only got one at bat, but uh, one at bat was uh, really special to make a parents. Just tell me something about Tony Gwynn. You know, best laugh in baseball, and as I said, he just he treated me so well, and, and I think that his reputation, uh, the infamous you can't find anybody who says a bad word about a guy. I think, quite honestly, you fit into that category, Tony. I'm not saying there's a coincidence in that, but can I ask what you what you took out of your years around Tony Gwynn? Yeah, I think well, exactly what you said. It, it, you know, he had, well, he tweeted you. That that was Tony Gwynn. Uh, when I first came over here, I you know I knew a little bit about him, not much, but uh, um, you know, for, forget the talent. I mean, it, it, I mean, one of the best hitters of all time. Uh, 
Uh, I mean, what's he got? I think eight batting titles. I mean, that's that's incredible. But uh, just the the, the man, the, the person that he was, and uh, we became friends uh, in the early go. Greg Booker, myself, and uh, Tony. Uh, Kurt Bavakwa, we played cards, and uh, he liked to fish and even golf, and uh, and so um, you know he he was really special to me uh, as a friend, and then I ended up coaching and managing him, and uh, and really my first year manager in 1995. Here I am managing Tony. We were teammates and friends, and uh, his locker was right beside my office at. Uh, at uh, Qualcomm and and uh, really helped uh, me establish uh, you know a rapport or credibility with the team by telling guys, hey, Boach knows what he's doing, you know, and uh, so he gave me uh, um, you know a, a lot of uh, uh, a, a good advice as far as dealing with the players and everything. And if you remember, '95 was a strike year. Yep. That was my first year managing. So I coming in, I thought, well, these players are going to hold this against me, but uh, they didn't. And uh, I knew some of them because, you know, I, I had coached their base for a couple of years before I started managing. But still, you worried that they're going to be uh, a little upset that you uh, were part of, uh, you know, managing replacement players. And Randy Smith, who hired me, he actually let me back off because well, I, was I remember so this. About that. I remember this. You, you, your coaches did that work that spring, did they not? Yeah, Tim Flannery, and Tim still holds it against me. <laughs> he still says, yeah, you threw me under the bus. But I ended up hiring him like the next year yep. and uh, and brought him on staff. And uh, we became, uh, you know, longtime uh, friends. And uh, he's my longtime third base coach. Yep. But, uh, but but getting back to Tony, that's, that's why he's so beloved. I mean, he just loved talking baseball. He even talked to anybody. I, you know, I have a lot of relatives in North Carolina, so – so we go to Atlanta, and my relatives would come out and watch VP, and I let them in the dugout. I go now, leave Tony alone. Well, as soon as I would leave, they they weren't going to listen to me. And then they huddle around Tony. I go, hey Tony, I'm sorry. He goes, hey no, no problem. He, and uh, the next time we go in, he go, hey is Timmy coming? So he knew him by name, and that's who Tony was. And he'd spend time with uh, anybody, and that's. Uh, that's what made him so special. He just made himself available and was such a great ambassador to the game. I read something. Tell me this real quick, and then I do want to get to the Giants and certainly the successes. Um, liars poker. If I say liars poker, what is it you think of? Well, I think playing with dollar bills or even mm-hmm. more, and, uh, and uh, that's that's what I think of. Did you not get invited? to play in Liars poker games with some guys who, I, and I'm not even sure why they either took a liking to you or thought you were a sucker, but but if you can play Liars poker, especially with older guys in and around baseball, you probably have an ability to understand to read a room. And my big point is reading a room as a manager is the most important thing. Sure, you want talent. Sure, you can make a move that works and you can look smart. You can make a move that doesn't. You can look dumb. But if you have the balls and the nerves to actually go play Liars Pokers with guys who have been around baseball for a long time, isn't there sort of an invaluable education in something like that? You know, I, Chris, I, I really think there is. And, uh, you know, it's a, that's a little bit of what the, what the game could be uh, managing. Uh, you know, is, is playing some poker, playing, you know, knowing, the, knowing the, what the uh, – other manager has as far as cards and uh, you know, what what's going to be his play and uh, try to stay ahead of him or at least with him and 
but shoot, man, I started. Uh, I remember going to the Mets and playing with uh, uh, Jim Fry and uh, and Bamberger and, uh, and Craig Swan and those guys. And, uh, and then we came over to San Diego and we played all the time. And uh, it is, it's it's. Poker, I tell you what, it's it's a great game because uh, you know you, you you don't want to show your cards and uh, and uh, or, or or give them away, mm-hmm. and uh, it's 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 uh, it's part of the game, and uh, I think it's it's invaluable uh, um, uh, way of uh, you know learning uh, you know how to, how to do things on the field. I, I really believe that. The most incredible thing is you win Manager of the Year in San Diego. You win three World Series in San Francisco. You never won Manager of the Year in San Francisco, correct? No. Uh, okay. No. I, I just asked a question on air this morning here in Atlanta that I don't even know if there's a real answer to. You win three World Series in a short amount of time. This side of Buster Posey, who the jury's going to be out somewhere down the road, you never managed a Hall of Famer. You won three World Series in that short amount of time, and I know it's about players and its execution and everything else, but I think it lends a bigger thing to the idea of what the makeup of the 25 is. Uh, it's not, look, I want talent. I want guys who can win. I got Bumgarner. I got Linscombe. I get all that. So you, had, you had guys who could play. But the makeup of the room seems like it was very, very important to you over the course of your managing career. Who were the 25, and why are they my 25? Well, I, I think I think that's the key. I think that's critical of uh, uh, and, and, and of the you know success of the team. And that's the difference between you know a good team or a great team, or even if you're going with the bad club, trying to make it as good as you can uh, um, is is the makeup and and, and, and getting the guys. Uh, uh, you know, to buy in on what you're trying to do, and ultimately that's winning. I mean, that's really what it is. And and but they, you know, they got to believe it. And uh, and 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 one of the hardest things to do, I think, in our sport is uh, when when you haven't won, is to, to change that. You know, that's where the Giants are now, and um, and now Atlanta. You, you look at that club now; they believe they're going in this year. I mean, you look at success they've had the last couple of years, and but even when you know Bobby was managing for all those years, well, I mean, they they really believed it. But uh, I, I I think that's the only way it happens. I mean, you look at uh, the Tampa Bay, yeah. You know, I you can talk about Brady's talent, whatever. But it, the biggest thing he did probably was going down there, getting these guys uh, to believe and and why and why you play the game and uh, and uh, that leadership that he provided uh, uh, to all those guys. And here they are, Super Bowl champs. It's incredible what what can happen when uh, when uh, guys really, I mean, really believe that uh, you know they they got a chance to win. And the other part is who you add during a season to make sure that if we're a good team, how do we get better? Not a rock-the-boat guy. And, and look, I, I'm on, and I don't know if you believe this, but a few years ago I kind of came to the conclusion that the word grinder, for a while it had sort of a negative connotation. It was, ah, oh, you know, that guy, might he's not very talented. I say bullshit because to me, you throw a couple of grinders into the middle of that room over the course of a long season, you have a better chance to win with guys like that on your roster, not fewer. Without question, and, and Brian Sabian, I mean, what a terrific job he did uh, uh, during those years to, uh, you know, to acquire the, uh, you know, the type of players that, uh, um, you know, could help 
you know, change our, our, our not just our, our lineup or our pitching rotation, but, uh, you know, the mentality of the club, you know, some, you know, sometimes we use the word men, you know, you got to have men in there. And, uh, starting 2010, I mean, we picked up, what we brought up a guy, Buster Posey. I mean, that, that sure that changed our team and, and really Benji Mullaney was a good catcher, but Buster uh, came up and uh, helped change our team. But the same day he, he uh, came up, we brought up Pat Burrell, who we, yep. uh, who was released by Tampa and he helped change our club with, uh, you know, the attitude that he brought, you know, the power bat was nice, but, uh, just, uh, the leadership that he brought and his enthusiasm in the dugout. And, you know, every year it was somebody different, whether it was Javi Lopez, uh, um, Marco Scudero, Freddie Sanchez, all these guys, uh, Cody Ross. And I, I don't want to leave anybody out, but uh, uh, they they made such a big difference. Uh, just one guy. Sometimes we get a couple, but uh, you're right. Uh, because as the season goes, you know, the club's looking for a little lift. Uh, they're looking for a little shot in the arm, and uh, and this is what, what can happen. And uh, I, I think, uh, uh, you know, without these moves, um, I, you know, I don't think we have this, uh, the success that we had during that time. How many rules did you have? Oh, boy, I didn't really have a lot of rules. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you know, I... Um, let me think here. You know, I think the, I, I think the biggest thing um, rule I had was just, hey, you guys, you know, right from wrong. That's it's pretty simple. You know, I just I, I trust that you'll uh, you'll know that. But you know, I, I wanted them out for the anthem. Uh, I, I wanted them out in the dugout. You know, little things like that. But I I, I can't say that. Uh, you know, I I had rules. You know, the old be on time, that yep. type thing. Sure, but the, and you know, and I. But I, you know what? I I I try to get the players to police it up. I would tell them, hey, this is your clubhouse, and uh, I I said, you guys take care of these little things. But you know, the staff, we got bigger things uh, hopefully to worry about. And if it gets to a point where you need me, then come get me. But you know, if somebody's not with the program. You know, I expect y'all to, you know, step in the breach and uh, take care of it. And it's okay to call somebody out, but also realize, you know, hey, you could be on the other end of the conversation too. So let's uh, let's take care of things in, uh, within. I knew the answer before I asked because a lot like Bobby, treat men like men until they prove they can't handle it. It, it would be on time, respect the uniform. And, and if, if we do that, we're going to be okay because then you have – in part of picking the 25 guys that are in their room, controlled in their room. I, I That's what I really appreciate about the idea that we have work to do over here. We're going to let you guys do your work. I promise our work will put you in a really good position. We'll give you an opportunity to be successful. I think players love that. And if there's a guy or two who wants to color outside the lines, those are the guys that at times just go, okay, he can't be here anymore. I, I think sometimes it is that. I think it's been overcomplicated in a lot of ways sometimes in sports now. It is. It is, and uh, you know, and I, I think, I think you know, the players, you know, they they want you know everybody uh, you know working together toward you know the, the same thing we all do. So uh, I, I was fortunate that you know I I've always had guys. You know, started Cam and Eddie. You know, if we had an issue in that clubhouse, Cam and Eddie would take care of it. Uh, uh, you know, and then later on, it was, it was other uh, leaders that would, uh, you know, help nip little things. Because, 
you know, if you can ultimately, you know, it's sometimes the manager may have to take care of something if it gets big enough. But when it comes from your peer, it means a little bit more of these guys. You know, it keeps coming from uh, me. Uh, you know, it's, it's like a parent goes in one ear out the other. But if your peer is calling you out, then uh, that means a little bit more. So, you know, I, I try to give them uh, – the authority and power and hopefully uh, uh, the, the leadership that uh, I think all the players will you know, like to have to take care of that thing, that kind of stuff. I want to talk about the World Series specifically in a second, but you played uh, in the Astrodome, and the Astrodome to Minute Maid is one of those incredible, my God, one thing is not like the other except they play baseball games here. But Candlestick, can you explain to people what the home field advantage was in San Francisco First of all, the team was about to move to Tampa. We've talked about that story before, how, you know, Bonds comes over and they find a China Basin, they find a little bit of real estate where they think they can squeeze a stadium in. When that stadium was right, rocking, uh, I've been to Wrigley, I've been to Fenway. That became my favorite stadium very quickly. Can you explain what that place was like when you guys were on one of these runs? Yeah, well, you're talking about a, a city that had never won a championship, and uh, uh, it was even beyond uh, what I, I knew there would be excitement, but uh, it was just the whole city, the surrounding area. Uh, you know, I, you know I, most of the clubs I paid, uh, well, I was in, with Houston, uh, San Diego, uh, New York, and they don't quite have the story uh, franchise that. Uh, the Giants had, you know, from New York to San Francisco. And uh, uh, and then you realize the fan base you have when you get to the postseason. And it, it was crazy. I mean, absolutely nuts. Uh, uh, before the game, after the game, uh, during the game, obviously. And uh, uh, so, um, the, 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 I mean, players feed, you know, they fed off that. And uh, uh, there's no doubt that uh, – uh, they do play a role, and you always hear about the tenth man, whatever. But uh, when 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 you saw um, or could see what uh, what those fans did for for those players during those those years, it, it, it's it's incredible. And that's what you know. Even the parade, you know, over a million people. I mean, you, you don't realize until you go through that. I mean, people that you have impacted or played a part in their lives, and uh, and that's what's. Uh, um, you know, that's something I take away as much as the ring itself. It doesn't seem possible that they move out there after the 57 season and they don't win a World Series till 2010. I think if you ask most people, they would have thought the Giants had won a World Series in that time. But you're, you're so right about a city being starved with as many Hall of Famers as they had in New York uh, and as many Hall of Famers as they had in San Francisco. The idea that they hadn't won a title, I can't even fathom how starved that city must have been for a run. Yeah, really, you think about the teams that they had. Yeah. I mean, Mays, McCovey, Cepeda, Marichelle, Gaylord Perry, uh, on and on. And, you know, they got close when, you know, McCovey lined out to Bobby yeah. uh, Richardson with the bases loaded. But, uh, yeah, that, it, you know what? I, I never really thought about it. I knew, I knew it. But, uh, you know, until, until we got there in 2010, you know, you just saw how, how hungry they were. Uh, to win one, and uh, when when we won that first one, oh my goodness, it, it, it was just uh, the most incredible experience I, I'd, I'd ever gone through. And it, it didn't stop. I remember the dugout stores because my my place 
my uh, in San Francisco was right across the street from mm-hmm. the ballpark at a condo. It was looking at the ballpark, and there was lines from the dugout store that went all the way around the ballpark. That's how long it was. So I don't know uh, the, the revenue that they made off that dugout store, but <laughs> it was all day, you know, uh, pretty much all winter. So uh, that's that's uh, the support that we got. That's not a little thing, by the way. You actually, I'm assuming you chose, it was afforded to you, the idea that you could live right across the street. But in San Diego, traffic town and everything else, I know that, like, h- how much did you actually enjoy the idea that you would leave, give your wife a kiss, go outside, walk past a couple of statues and get right into the building. That had to be, and by the way, the vibe of the city when you're doing that, both pregame and postgame, has got to be very, very different than it was in San, Fran- uh, in San Diego. Oh, it, it really was. Uh, it was such a uh, you know, great uh, uh, place for us, you know, the, the hangout in San Francisco. My wife loved the city, uh, a great city to walk around in. I, I walk right – I mean, it was a minute to the ballpark, I mean, to get to the clubhouse. Mm-hmm. You know, fans would be there. You know, you're going by them, and, and, uh, and they were great. You know, it wasn't like they uh, – you know, they just want to, you know, say hi, whatever. It's not like they would want you to stop. And uh, But – um, you know, for me, it just made life so much easier. I didn't realize because I was here in San Diego managing. I, I lived north of San Diego, probably thirty miles. What a long commute I had until I came to San Diego to play them. <laughs> when I was with the Giants, I went, "Oh my goodness!" I made this drive every day because yeah. I was I was I got so spoiled up there by you know just uh, going out the door and walking the ballpark. I'm in the clubhouse and. And uh, a minute, and then after the game was where it was really nice. Could you know, Saves and I could have a glass of wine, sit around, and talk for a couple of hours, and just just walk home. And uh, so it was it was quite the uh, setup. Uh, and I, I was I was really lucky. And and uh, you know, my wife loved it. The condo life, looking at the you know the bay there, and and, um, and having the city to walk around and shop in. Yeah, and by the way, for a while, and I can tell you this because I heard it enough. The Giants were run so well. The owner owned, the general manager, general managed, the manager managed, and he had control of the staff. You guys were the place and the building, by the way, and winning. You guys were the hottest team in baseball that I'm telling you, Bruce, I spoke to guys who said, my God, if I could cherry pick a place to be, it would be San Francisco. That's how well you guys not only played, but how well you were perceived because everybody had their job in the hierarchy of the San Francisco Giants. I don't think there's any greater honor. It's great to win, but I don't think there's a better honor than knowing guys in baseball look at your situation and go, I'd play there if given an opportunity. Yeah, no, and I appreciate that. I mean, that is a, quite a compliment. And uh, and I had so many friends, uh, uh, you know, coaches or even managers or players that uh, we played against that said, this is unbelievable what you guys have. I mean, we were sold out every game. I mean, and, uh, you know, the, the atmosphere, uh, the ballpark itself, uh, the city, but uh, – you know, it started at the top. Uh, what ownership? I mean, they they did all they could, uh, you know, to, to make it work. And Peter McGowan and Larry Bear, who who were so instrumental in keeping the the club there, and uh, you know, provided the leadership at, at, at top. And Brian Sabian and I have such a great relationship. We're still very close friends. I just talked to him yesterday, and uh, and he just let me do my thing. I mean, we would talk, but. Uh, you know, he he, uh, he 
he trusted me, and uh, uh, so it, it, it started at the top, all the way down, where you know we just let guys uh, do their job, and uh, and um, I never got any interference from ownership or anybody, and uh, so it, it, I couldn't have had a better situation, and uh, I was very fortunate because you know I left here; it wasn't that easy to leave here. I had one year left on my deal in San Diego. This is a nice place too, nice city and everything. But, you know, sometimes you just realize it's time for a change. And uh, so, you know, uh, I'm not going to lie. When I went up there, I just went, man, I just, you're hoping you made the right move. But within a year, I said, man, this is, you know, the best thing for uh, for myself and my family. And uh, I just had 13 wonderful years up there, and I'm very appreciative of it. Before we get to the winning, I do want to ask you about the 98 season as a manager against the Yankees. Did that World Series just fly by? Like, did it end too soon? I don't know how aware you were. You played in one, obviously. You were around one in 84. But but when you're not, look, they, they were the Yankees, and they were in the middle of being the Yankees, uh, the second version of the, my God, they're going to go on a run here. But did that World Series feel like it, fly, it, it flew by? Like it was just over before you could actually do anything to try to stop it? Yeah, you know what? I, I, we, we were disappointed uh, because we really had a good club. I mean, we... I mean, we had to go through Houston, had to go through you guys there in Atlanta. Uh, I mean, we we had a a terrific team uh, led by Kevin Brown on the starting rotation, Hoffy being our closer with our our lineup. We had presence. We had power. and so it did did shoot by, and uh, you know the first game I I've said if we could have hung on and won that game, it could have been a different World Series. And you know we just like Detroit in '84, we happy happen you know happened to play a, a juggernaut Yankee team that uh, you know was unbelievable. And uh, I don't know if we'd won the World Series, but at least made it a, a better World Series. So yeah, a little disappointed there, but still. You know, been a long time since San Diego had, had been to the World Series since '84, so played a major role in getting a new ballpark here at Petco, and um, you know that that's what made uh, Kevin Towers, late Kevin Towers, and uh, myself. Yep. Uh, we we felt good about that because it kind of brought baseball back where it should be in uh, San Diego, and. Uh, and, and played such a big part in, in, in us getting a new ballpark. I won't go through the series to get you to the championship in 10. Uh, are you nervous as a guy? I, I know the work is done, and there's nothing you can do. Then it's going to be a baseball game, and some things are going to go right, some things are going to go wrong. But but are you a little nervous managing out October versus June and when you realize what this is coming down to? I will ask you about the night you win it and what a relief or what, what the sense actually is. But do you have to – you ask players to make it normal. It's got to be played like every other game. You also kind of have to manage like it's every other game when you know sure as hell it's not like every other game at that point. Yeah, I'm, you know, I'd be lying if I said, you know, that you're not a little nervous. You're going to be. Uh, you know, you realize that every move, it, it's, it could determine, you know, the the fate of the team, you know, on whether you win not just that game, but, uh, you know, win the World Series or even the playoffs. Uh, you know, there's I look back at some of the um, things that uh, happened in our earlier playoffs or, or the World Series, mm-hmm. and, uh and, 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 and sure, you probably like to have a couple, a couple of them back, but I don't think you prepare uh, any harder than uh, when when you're in the 
playoffs because you're getting all this information, and your last thing you want to be a surprise uh, is be surprised or or uh, get caught off guard. So there, there's a lot of work involved, and uh, because you. You know, you're trying to have these players ready. You're trying to have yourself ready. And uh, uh, but going in New York, I mean, that was that was pretty cool. But you know, it was also you know, it's it's my first World Series managing. So you know, nerves were going and, uh, a little bit. Uh, but once the game starts, and you know, it, that that leaves you. And uh, so it's it's business as usual. And uh, and like I said, you know. It, the first game's the one that, that really hurt us uh, because, you know, that, that momentum might have changed a little bit because, you know, they they could have been overconfident. We beat them the first game. Yeah, we, we might have, you know, changed that a little bit. But, uh, again, such a good team. Uh, you know, they, they deserve to be the world champion that year. When you win in 2010, what's it like? I, I know that everybody knows what they see. It's champagne and everything else. But what's it really like when you go home that night or when you – have an opportunity, maybe whether it's just with your wife or your family, we see a public part of it, the celebrations, what everybody's worked for. Well, what is it truly like when you win a World Series as a manager? Gosh, you know, in 2010, I mean, there's so many different emotions uh, running through your families there. You know, you're happy, you're celebrating with them. I, I still remember when the game ended, my arms went up and I just couldn't believe it's over it's over but the, the most nervous i think i've ever been was uh we were up 3-1 in that series in texas and uh and was trying to sleep that night realizing you're a game away from being a, a world champion and you know i had never you know that that had never happened for me and so uh, i'm sitting there talking to my family but uh all i'm thinking about is tomorrow and you know i was lucky that tim lensicum going that that gives you a, a little peace of mind but uh uh still you know you realize it's not over and the last thing you want want to happen is uh let that get away at three one so there's a lot of pressure on you you know before it starts and uh, uh of course uh, uh edgar renteria took care of that that three-run homer but uh very nerve-wracking, and the most – I didn't realize how exhausted I was, and the players too, I'm sure, because you're running on adrenaline. And people tell you, Chris, they go, man, wasn't that fun? Wasn't that fun? <laughs> I don't know if fun is the right word, man. It's just so intense, and you're not sleeping, you know, you're – you you're worried about you know getting everything done right, uh, and so for two weeks I would still I swear to God I'm still waking up thinking, oh I got to go with this lineup, right. and then I realized hey it's over it's you know uh, it, it was it was really strange but uh, uh, but when when that was over you know finally caught up uh, got my breath and and uh, recuperated. Uh, it was a, it's the greatest winner I, I've ever had. I, I, we'll talk a little bit about your last day managing because I, I don't know. Listen, I'm not saying you cried, cried. Uh, but when in the World Series, is there sort of an emotion that you didn't know you had in you? Is there that is, there's relief and there's jubilation and there's everything else? But you got to look at your wife. You guys have been married a long time at that point. You got to go. Where the hell were we? Think about what what this trip is. Do you, do you find yourself getting reflective pretty quickly, or is that more for the end end? When you, when you hung no, it, it was right away when when she came on the field and uh, you know, geez, we got married. I was playing double A ball in Columbus, Georgia, making seven hundred and fifty dollars a month. So, you know, she had put her through a lot, and uh, again, five years of winter ball. So, uh, 
Oh yeah, it was a very emotional time, and uh, and you know had her parents there, I had my uh, my family, a lot of my family there, and uh, it was uh, a very emotional time. And I just remember going back to the office, you know, after celebrating, you know, um, you know, after uh, hanging with the players a little bit, just catch my breath there and uh it, it's just like you, you still can't believe it's over and uh um and so i had a you know a couple hours in my office before uh um you know we we went back to the hotel yeah and the other part about that is you're in a club i, I was actually in the building when Larusa won in 06 and i swear to you this is exactly what happened i was right there in front of his office and there's bob gibson and LaRusse is acting like a 12-year-old because he's literally screaming to Bob Gibson, I'm in the club, I'm in the club. And his point was, you don't become a member of the Cardinals unless you win a World Series as a member of the Cardinals. And I swear to you that we, we talked about it afterwards. you got guys like Willie Mays, Willie McCovery, Cepeda, those guys you just mentioned. You, you live on forever in the legend and lore of Giants. Uh, because, and, and you did something that hadn't been done in that amount of time. I mean, I don't, I don't know how reflective you get about being in the club, but you brought something to a city that hadn't existed, and now you actually are in the presence of those guys that we talked about, along with other people around baseball, as a World Series winning manager. Yeah, you know, I, and I didn't think about it then. Later on, that hit me, uh, you know, because, you know, you, you look at uh, Bobby, you look at uh, Tony, uh you know these guys that won, won world championships, Leland, and you realize, yeah, you're in a special club mm-hmm. now. And uh, of course, to win three, you know, and it, it's just it's, it's something that you never, you know, <laughs> uh, dreamed in your wildest dreams that uh, that that would ever happen. And uh, but yeah, what what was really cool was uh, the next year opening day. We had all our Hall of Famers, uh, Marichelle, Mays, uh, Cepeda, Gaylord. They went out and got their rings. So it was like they, you know, this is what was missing from them, and now they got it because they, they were part of our team. And, and it was like a family up there. And uh, so, they, you know, and they were in the parade with us and everything. That's great that ownership. Really, that's great ownership. That's that's really it, being It really smart. was. Yeah. It really was, and uh, for us to honor them like that, uh, it, it, that's that was a, a very special time for for all of us, especially me, uh, because you know what I, I saw what it meant for these guys, and uh, and they were proud. They were, you know, they weren't on the field, but they they were part of our family, and they they, they were part of this, and uh, it, it was pretty cool to watch. Before I ask about a couple of guys in a couple of moments, and I really do appreciate your time. Do you? 2,000 plus wins. The night you get 2,000, uh, obviously it's you're in rarefied air. 2,000 wins, three World Series rings. You're in really, really rarefied air. Do you think about the Hall of Fame? Now you had mentioned you're open to the idea that maybe it's the door's not shut, so it's not necessarily the time. But can you imagine you're a guy who's player managing? Uh, I think you won a title, by the way, as a manager in the minor leagues as well. But can you imagine that we're actually having a conversation where, and I know you're going to be humble about this. But you are going to go to the Hall of Fame, and you think about the guys that you just mentioned that were on the field to get a ring that they never really got in San Francisco. How heady is that for you, even this many years later? No, I, you know that's that's just too heavy for me to handle. I just, <laughs> you know, I, 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 I mean, I mean you, you know my career stats as a player, and uh, you know, it, I came. 
think of something like that. You know, I think of the Hall of Fame. I think of Mays and McCovey and these guys, Johnny Bench, Hank Aaron, and uh, you know, that's that's those are Hall of Famers. So I, I don't uh, even think about putting myself in in, in in their class, and it is it's humbling. Uh, as you said, that when that's ever mentioned, but I, I can't bring myself to, to even think about it. And, uh, you know, I'd made my mind up. It, it was time for me to make a little change and hit the pause button there. And I, I think uh, it was the right time. But uh, And I don't know what's going to happen from here on, but uh, um, I feel great. And all, but um, I, I, that's just something I, I don't ever think about. Two moments. You got to hand a baseball to your son in a Major League Baseball game. I don't. I'm not saying you trade everything else in, but that's got to be, if not the most surreal thing, the most maybe emotional thing that's ever happened to you on a baseball field. Chris, that uh, is more so than the World Series, the most emotional uh, moment for me. Uh, you know, the most nervous too. Uh, you know, I didn't. I you know, you get a little nervous for for the World Series, but. Uh, <laughs> You go out and you bring your son in. I mean, it's just you can't believe it's happening. It is surreal. And uh, I, at the time, I didn't realize it had never happened in baseball before. There's been managers that manage their sons, but not uh, pitchers or, you know, or, you know, they brought their son in from the bullpen and handed him the ball. So uh, he's coming in. I got all these emotions of trying to keep it together. And I remember Juan Uribe was up, bases were loaded, and it wasn't the best time to bring him in. Trust me, Mama chewed me out when I got home. <laughs> but uh, I gave him the game plan, you know, throw strike one down away and throw some sliders, he'll chase. And uh, um, he ended up walking them. Uh, Juan never swung the bat. Uh, um and I can't really go into that now uh, because uh, there's an inside story between Juan and I, so I got to keep that. But anyway, he comes back uh, to the dugout and uh, says, "Hey, Dad, nice scouting report on your rebate." Uh, but he got the next guy out. Uh, and uh, but I, I just remembered, you know, I, I, had, you know, my eyes were watering. And I just couldn't believe uh, what just happened. And I was so proud of him and. Uh, so it, it is a, a moment that uh, we both uh, never forget, and uh, I'm thankful that uh, that was able to happen. Bobby Evans was the GM, and uh, I'm thankful that he, you know, he brought him up. And, and and Brad had had good numbers in the minor league, so he wasn't a power arm. And you know, those guys, you know, don't get looked at quite as much. But uh, the numbers were good. It was a well-deserved call up, and. Uh, and uh, so I was fortunate that, uh, you know, that was able to happen. I told Mark DeRosa the other day that I was going to be speaking to you. In 2010, let's get to the other moment with Bobby Cox. And you have talked about your, your quite honestly, your respect for Bobby Cox. But I think, I'll say it, I think there's a love for Bobby Cox uh, that you have. And I know Bobby very, very, very much respected uh, the relationship that he had with you. 2010, DeRosa said that you absolutely let it be known before we do one ounce of celebrating – we're going to do something. And, and that moment, I think, still, with a lot of Atlanta fans, Bruce, really still resonates. Can I just ask quickly how you had the mindfulness to be aware of that at that moment? Yeah. You know, Bobby, I, again, I mean, just revere him. I mean, it, Bobby was so good to me uh, and talking to me. Uh, he took me to the uh, All-Star game in 97. But more than, you know, just not just the success that he had there. Uh, you know, there 
you know, consecutive years of uh, winning their division, but uh, it's just how his team uh, played, how they carried themselves. They're always so professional, and uh, and so you know, I just venerated this man so uh, so much. And uh, but um, you know, and and then when we're out there, I forgot. I'm trying to think what happened in. Uh, and and then I looked over and saw uh, Bobby and them, and that's that's when we uh, uh, you know made sure that we honored him, uh, uh, you know, for his career because you know that that was his uh, last game, and uh, and so uh, you know how the players uh, uh, did it because you, you know at that time you, euphoria has hit everybody, and so you know it, they're not really thinking about anything, but uh, everybody had to wear with all the follow through with it and, uh, I, uh, you know, acknowledge, uh, Bobby and, uh, that, that was pretty cool. And we stayed, we talked to him after, uh, the game, uh, and the players were with him in his clubhouse. Cause we, Brian Sabian, who knows Bobby, well, we, we weren't to get together, but we ended up not doing it. And, uh, I'm sure it was a little bittersweet for him, uh, you know, with how the fans acknowledging them and everything, but, uh, you know, they did happen to lose and, uh, I'm sure that was tough for him. Three guys real quick. Hunter Pence. How important was Hunter Pence to what it is you guys were doing? Oh, Hunter. He, he was our spiritual leader. Uh, uh, he was the guy that uh, came in with such a positive attitude every day. No matter what was going on, he he did a great job of, uh, uh, you know, just just keeping guys uh in the in the right frame of mind in that clubhouse. Uh, you know, we talked about uh, – um, you know, the, the talk in Cincinnati, we're down 0-2, and uh, he gave his sermon there that was awesome. And uh, he, he's just such a beautiful person, man. He's We call him uh, full throttle, and anything he does, it's all out. And there's not one thing that uh, he does on the field that you teach your kid. But uh, no one has a bigger heart, and no one cares about teammates more than him. And uh, so um, I was lucky, uh, you know, to have him for 12 and 14. Will anybody have a postseason that Bumgarner had ever again? I I don't see it. I I really don't. Um, I I think you're looking at, you know, where baseball's changing. I I don't know if they would – you know, quite let that happen. I, 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 I you know, I, you can't say never, but it, it's the greatest postseason performance, uh, uh, I think, ever in the game. And uh, because you, uh, so much has to happen to do that. The wild card game, yep. you got to win. And uh, it's so hard to win as a wild card. And then, and then of course, you got to go through uh, two other teams in in your league, and then the World Series, and uh, and those numbers that he put up, and the and the innings uh, that he logged, and then to come back after two days rest, uh, after throwing a complete game shutout, and throw five innings. I, I Chris, I just don't see it happening, and uh, uh, it still amazes me what this man did, and uh, um, he's. Uh, you know, I think he's uh, set a mark here that I, I don't think will ever be reached. Yeah, legendary sometimes gets thrown around a little bit too easy. That was a legendary performance. Last guy for you, Tim Linscombe. Um, look, the two Cy Youngs and, and did it end too soon, whatever. Why was it so emotional for him to come back? I know he doesn't do a lot of stuff, but he came back on the Bruce Bochy day. I, from what I understand, you didn't know he was going to be there. So why is he that type of guy? Why is he as beloved? Why is he sort of that unicorn-type guy? Maybe managers have only one or two or three of them over the course of their career. 
Yeah, I think, Timmy, uh, it just just fit in so well with the city of San Francisco. Uh, you know, first of all, uh, you know, you look at his size, uh, you know, going against odds a little bit, maybe, uh, um, you know, his, uh, his style, he was, he was fun to watch. Uh, I think, I think they really, and I got to be careful here, but you know, he, he did get caught yeah. uh, smoking pot and, uh, they just saw Timmy as one, of, as one of them. And, uh, but he was, you know, alone like like Tony. He was always hanging out with the fans uh, uh, by the dugout or during batting practice. Uh, um, very approachable. Uh, he he was like their son, their kid. And, uh, and of course, you know, you win two Cy Youngs, you know, the su- uh, success that goes with it. But, uh, yeah, and so it had been a long time since he had seen Timmy. And uh, so when he showed up in my last game, I mean, I I lost a little bit, but uh, the fans, you know, they they just love this man, and uh, so it was pretty cool. And he hung around uh, that night. I mean, it was like eleven, eleven thirty. I finally got outside my my office because I had a lot of friends and family there. He was still outside on the field talking to fans and everything and uh and that's who he was and uh, i think that's all those things is why he uh, he was so beloved there because they just saw him as 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 one of them well i whatever ends up happening uh whether you're back in the game as a manager whether you're working in a front office capacity whatever you should choose to do you've earned the right to choose to do what it is you want to do but i i th- we'll finish with this humility will probably preclude you from giving me many words here but if if you could actually hope what people think about you when they hear your name uh what i don't know you know bruce bochi there's the guy aspect there's the guy that people saw winning games but what do you hope that with all of your time in baseball that if there's a couple of people handfuls that you really respect what do you what is it you hope that they think about you and and maybe what you either contributed to the game uh why you were maybe successful in the game what would be the best way to be thought of i guess uh, as you're winding it down, whatever the next step might be. Um, you know, I, I'd probably start with, uh, you know, that uh, he, he he cared about uh, his players. He loved his players, and he loved baseball. Uh, you know, that's that's what I I would want to be remembered for. He loved the competition part of it. Uh, you know, the you know the the the, the managing uh, the chess play against. Uh, uh, the other team, uh, but um, you know that he, he he really cared uh, and, and 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 loved uh, the game itself, and uh, um, and that's, that's still the case. Uh, uh, so hopefully that's that's what they take away, and uh, hopefully that I had an idea that that I, I knew how to run a game. Mm-hmm. Well, and the other part, listen, I'll just because it's similar to Bobby. Did you have? Uh paint coming off the wall moments in your office because as far as I know you never publicly you never undressed a guy you you never blamed anything on a guy Uh, but did you have the paint came off the wall type moments with guys to let them know or let the team know that we, we do have a certain way we go about it and that's not it yeah, you know what I did. I did. There's a couple, uh, actually, a couple times. I wish I probably wouldn't have done it, but uh, you know, I, you know, I, I had to uh, um, get 
Allen pretty good. I, I remember 2016. I mean, we we went from the best team in baseball to the worst team in baseball in the second half. I just thought we got complacent, uh, and, the, and the you know the frustration was was there, and uh, I, I probably. You know, and you know what? To Hunter Pence's credit, you know, Hunter and I talked in San Diego. And he said, you know, you, you know, I, I know it's frustrating and uh, and it's really showing, and uh, and which I appreciate. You know, I said you're right, Hunter, but you know, at the same time, I think it's it's time we, you know, we rattle the cage here, and uh, and so, you know, there there's uh, moments there that you. You have to have, I think, uh, because they they can't, you know, just accept uh, bad play consistently. I, I believe that, and uh, um, and because we had set a, a, a high standard, we you know, and we the bar was pretty high, and uh, I just I just thought we we were getting away from that, and uh, maybe we weren't quite as hungry. So, but there there's a time or two I probably I I, I went overboard. <laughs> Well, I don't know if it was overboard, but um, but if you don't do it often, though, they also know that you mean it. You're not crying wolf at that point. Right, right. And that, I think they got it, you know. And, uh, you know, because I had a couple of players, too, that I talked to. They go, hey, we, we get it. We, you know, I get where you're coming from. But uh, it was just little things. Because, you know, it costs people, you know, it costs your coaches jobs right. and things. And uh, and that's, that, you know, I just wanted them to know that, you know, hey, we, we're not going to walk through this thing. And, but uh, anyway, that's, uh, you know, it's hard when you, when you have maintained a standard, you win three championships, and then it, it, it's it's hard to grab that back. You know, once you lose it. Well, I will. I'll finish with this, and I'll tell you that the game is better for you uh, because of you. There's no doubt in my mind. If people call it old school, that's fine. Uh, if people want to actually come up with any other way to put it, but but you earned your place in this game, and as I said before, you are as good as it gets when it comes into sitting in that office, pregame scrums, microphones go off. I think you actually enjoyed those conversations more than when the mics were on, and I, and I hope baseball still believes they have a place for that. I, I'm, I get a little nervous sometimes that it seems to be a microphone-on only conversation with managers and front office people. But when the mics go off and you have those conversations, I think that's what the game probably needs more of than anything else. You were as good as it gets in my time around here. And, and I just got to tell you, everybody that I've ever spoken to and mentioned your name says the same thing about you. Well, I, I really appreciate that, Chris. I, I thank you for those kind words. And, uh, you know, this is uh, where it's a beautiful game. And, uh, and uh, those are the fun times, you know, when the, the, the mic isn't on. And, and uh, I mean, we just lost a, a good one, you know, Pedro Gomez. And, uh, you know, it, it's, uh, of course, a lot of so many Hall of Famers, but I'm talking about media and things. Those those are the times I I miss and I really enjoy uh, uh, spending with the players, coaches, even the media. That That's, those, uh, uh, you know, those are uh, the best times. Well, Boach, I hope you get back to the ballpark soon. Again, the game certainly needs you and, and others like you. Thanks very much. I spent way too much of your time here, but but I really appreciate it. I really appreciate your baseball friendship over the years on top of everything else. Uh, of course. Thanks for having me on. It's good talking with you as always. Chris. All right, Boach. Listen, take care of the grandchildren. Have a good time. Stay safe. Keep the family well, and, and we'll catch up hopefully, as I said, at the ballpark sooner instead of later. All right, sounds good. All right, Boach, thank right, you very we'll much. You. Take care, buddy. Uh, okay. All right. And Bobby Cox is out of the dugout right now and waving to the crowd and saluting the Giants. It means so much uh, what he's accomplished in this game and 
You know, it's going to be strange coming in here and I've seen Bobby on the other side. Uh, he's a man I've looked up to. Uh, I'm going to miss him. Uh, I'm going to miss this man uh, again because I've venerated him so much that, you know, I'd be lucky to accomplish even close to half what he's uh, done. It was going to end sometime and the Giants respond. When you look back upon your career, there are those pivotal moments that blow your mind in terms of things you're really thankful for. For example, the last few weeks, there's been some stats on the scoreboard. I've seen over 2,000 losses. I'm thankful that I wasn't fired. Ninth innings with the beard on the mound. I also thank uh, uh, Tim Lincecum, the freak. 150 pounds soaking wet, putting the fear of God into the opposing hitters. And nobody loved those buster hugs more than me. And I think of watching Bum do something I don't think we'll ever see in the game again. has enriched our lives with friendships, experiences, and memories beyond what words can express. So maybe I'll just echo the words of the great Lou Gehrig. I consider myself the luckiest man on the face of this earth. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for making it so. Love y'all.